0: Five six one six one six twenty. What are those people talking about? You got a
1: deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. The weather is getting warmer. The sun is shining. I understand that this is a first world sort of issue, but I, I am in a good mood. You're not going to bring me down because... You know, after a couple months, I was finally able to get my hair cut today. And I understand that's a first world sort of issue, but when we've talked about, you know, once things start to loosen up, what's the first thing that you, you want to do? And one of those things for a lot of us, including myself, is I want to go get a haircut. And I was able to, to do that today. It's interesting because the, the place I went, the gal that, that cuts my hair, her and her partner, they just opened back up yesterday. My wife was able to get in yesterday. I don't know how that kind of works, but, but the whole deal was it i, I felt incredibly secure safe etc deal was you make an appointment when you get there's no waiting inside the place when you get there you you text you're in this case text the, the gal that cuts my hair i text lisa i said okay i'm outside she says okay fine and then she comes opens the door you they have hand sanitizer outside you put that on you go in she's wearing a mask I was wearing a mask and then you, you kind of get your hair cut and there was one moment where they have to kind of trim your sideburns and she says okay well would you would you take it off your that' the your, your mask off your ear and just kind of hold it in place on both sides we did it and it, it just it worked fine I think it was as secure as it could possibly be it was again one of these examples of I think how you can reopen and how if you trust people to do the the right thing. You, you can work it out. Trust me. I was mu- I would be much more concerned about, I don't know, piling into one of these big box retailers a few weeks ago and ca- getting sick from that than I was about the process they used to, to cut hair. And I was glad to be able to do it because I, I had an opportunity to, again, hear one of these stories firsthand. Look, as I've said before, for, for many of us, myself included, the, the last couple months have been an inconvenience. Right, the, I, I continue to work. I'm working from my home, um, continuing to get paid. I'm in a little bit of a different financial situation maybe than some. But you talk to some of these folks who are – I don't know, they're, they're supporting themselves or they're supporting their, their kids. And all of a sudden, you know, two months ago, boom, you know, you have the, the curtain just comes down and you're not allowed to, you know, make a living anymore. The government says you can't do what you've been doing for the last X number of years to make a living. And, and that's all well and good, but try explaining that to your mortgage company who's still – expects to be paid sooner or later, or your credit card company or your car uh, or the, the car company that you have a loan at. It, it's, it is devastating to have this happen, which is why one of the themes of the program today is I think moving forward, we, we need to be smart. About how we figure out to de- how to deal with COVID nineteen mo- moving forward, and I understand why we did what we did over the last couple months. But moving forward, maybe we can draw from some of the lessons we've learned, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, and where that balance is. There's a story on the front page of the Wall Street Journal today. It really kind of caught my attention. A- and what it what it says is, it says there's these new studies out there, and you've got scientists. Who say that the key to trying to get a handle on on the spread of COVID-19 coronavirus is to quote unquote extend the mass gathering ban? By that they mean, you know, if you're looking at it's something to try to restrict moving forward, you try. It makes the most sense to try to restrict. Situations where you're going to have hundreds or thousands of people that are going to be together in a setting. And, and they say they, they make the argument for that is because what you really want to do is you want to concentrate on, on stopping the super spreader. You know, the the one person or two people who are, are sick and are contagious, and they go and they're in a setting where all of a sudden they're hanging around 5, 10, 15,000 people. So the one or two or three super spreaders have a chance to, to get a whole bunch of people sick at once and then they go home then and, and the scientists are saying that approach moving forward makes a lot more sense than worrying about gee like a, a one-on-one sort of, of thing where you have you know one person who might be contagious who goes into a store and has a contact with with somebody else and, and yes that person might pass it on but it, it's not the situation where you have uh, again People that within one sort of contact, and within an hour or two, you can have thousands of people that end up getting exposed. It's, it's a very interesting thought, and it's something that candidly makes a lot of sense to me moving forward more sense than trying to say again we're, we're going to you know shut down that this small store where there only might be a couple people that are in there at any given time and maybe no more than a dozen in the entire day which brings me to where i want to start the program today yesterday on wisconsin's afternoon news john mccure shared a, a, an email that had been sent to vendors at the Wisconsin State Fair, and, and let me just say at the beginning, if you have been a regular listener to this program for the 22-plus years I've been on WTMJ, you know that I am a huge fan of the Wisconsin State Fair. I, I love it. I love We broadcast there with the exception of one year. Don't get me started on that year. With the exception of one year, we have broadcast, I've done my show live from the state fair every year. I love the opportunity to have people stop by, say hi. I try to go out during the breaks and talk to folks. That interaction is great. It's one of my favorite things. Plus, as a consumer, I love the fair. You know, after I get done or before I get done with the radio show, I'll be wandering around looking at some of the things, enjoying some of the food. I am a huge fan of the fair. I think Kathleen O'Leary, who is the director of the fair, does an absolutely tremendous job. It is very, very well managed. It is fun. I love the state fair. But in any event, the state fair is the last event which has not been canceled as of yet, at least the last major event which hasn't been canceled or or delayed. Summerfest—they've kicked it back to September. Maybe we'll touch on that in just a minute as to whether that can happen. In any event, the a, a note went out to all the various vendors for the, the state fair because this is a big deal. You know, the state fair is one of those places where all the folks that come in and, and sell their wares—they uh, this is—it's one of the big revenue generators for them for the year. In any event, the email that went out to the vendors says something like this: "We want." This is from the state fair. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for your check-ins, your supportive calls, your emails, your feedback, and your patience. Many of you have also reached out with inquiries about agreements and due date timelines, and we want to provide you with the following update. As the State Fair Park Board of Directors continue to work with staff and government officials on the safety of mass gatherings related to COVID-19, we have decided to put a hold on sending agreements until a decision has been made regarding the 2020 Wisconsin State Fair. We understand the uncertainty of this time time in our lives and in our industry and therefore a decision will be made by the end of May which would be next week and then you know they said they'll proceed accordingly so they're saying we're not sending out agreements we're going to decide in the next few days essentially whether or not you know we're going to be able to run the state fair at the end of July and early August our number 855-616-1620 that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line this is my launching off point do you think the state fair should be canceled? And I guess more particularly, you know, if they held the state fair, would you feel comfortable going? And if they'd have to make some adjustment, what would that that adjustment be? I mean, are we really going to be in a point where 2 months from now, I mean, think about the state fair, you you have you have crowds, you have people you know, piling into the the different animal barns. You have people sitting close to each other watching the, the racing pigs. You've got that whole expo center where a lot of times you've got vendors on, on both sides of the aisles and it's crammed and you're just kind of shuffling your way through. All right, how would you feel about that? And keep in mind, all right, we're now close, closing towards the end of May, end of June, end of July. So you're talking nine to 10 weeks. All right, is... Should the State Fair be canceled for for 2020? 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if it isn't canceled, would you go? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The, The last Major summer festival that has not as of yet been canceled is the Wisconsin State Fair, which is due to kick off at, at the end of July. So we're talking essentially two months from now. They've sent out a note to the vendor saying we're going to make a final decision by the end of May, which is next week. Um, I'm trying to help that decision process along. If the State Fair were held, would, would you go? And is there an asterisk? That say, well, maybe I'd go if they do certain things. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. James in Milwaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: How you doing, Jeff?
1: Good. What do you think?
2: Uh, no, I don't think I would. Uh, I think a watered down uh, state fair is not not what I want to see. Uh, state fair is supposed to be the big showcase every year of of all uh, culmination of all the uh, different uh, things with the animals and everything else. And I think a watered down type of version no i think bring it back next year b- bigger and better and and let us all have fun compared to just uh, a few people and a few vendors and everything else and just saying that's state fair no that that's not right
1: well let me ask you before you what what if they didn't water it down what if they said okay we're going to we are going to stage state fair in two months, the same way we've always stayed State Fair. We're going to have the midway there. We're going to have the the barns that are full. We're going to have the expo center that's going to be jammed. We're going to try to run State Fair just like we've always run State Fair. Do you think that would work?
2: Yeah, I think it would. But uh, w- are we all willing to uh, wear masks and are we all willing to accept, uh, uh, how do you say the word, uh, all, all the restrictions that are going to be put on there to uh you know, for state fair and stuff like that, maybe next year it would be a lot better because maybe the restrictions would be a lot less. Uh, I think that the possibility we wouldn't be able to run state fair, too, is because you've got all those bids in the Expo Center there. Are we going to keep that or not?
1: Well, no, thanks for calling. I mean, that, that is, that's a very, very real question because – I mean, right now, that's the, uh, the whole Expo Center is set aside for the, you know, overflow. And, and thankfully, we haven't needed it. I don't think we're going to need it, but it, it's there. And I, I see Governor Evers has hundreds of millions of dollars set aside for, uh, again, overflow hospital facilities in case there is a resurgence of COVID-19 and we need hospital beds that we've never used. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon
3: hi jeff if things improve and if there's a band there i really want to see then i would consider going um but if not then i probably would sit it out this year just because i don't see a reason for seeing things i've seen at the fair in previous years and then i can always go you know next year or other years
1: now when you say band do you mean a local band or if there was like one of the national touring acts or something you know that something's going to be a headliner that, that you'd want to see
3: Something like uh, Alice Cooper, who I saw at the fair a few years Got ago, it. who was really
1: good. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. I, and the reason I ask is because, matter of fact, there, there's a couple stories that I was just looking at today uh, about about how the concert season ha- has essentially just been shut down for, for most of 2020. And it's not just the venues. It's the whole idea that the, these tours... And tours are very, very expensive to put on for these big performers, you know, and that's why they have to play a lot of dates, and that's why they have to, you know, have, okay, we're, we're playing in Kalamazoo, Michigan, we're playing in Detroit, Michigan on on Thursday, and then Friday we're in Milwaukee, and then Saturday we're in Chicago, you, you have to do that to, to make money. And one of the things, if you look at the the two big promoters that cover like a lot of the mainstream acts, they're they're just saying we're we're shutting it down. We just don't think that because the uncertainty and, and that's the that's the phrase they're using, these things have to be scheduled, these tours have to be planned, and so the, the uncertainty is just overwhelming. It's kinda of like how how Summerfest, which you know, had had just a kick butt lineup for for this summer. Uh, and, I, I mean, we'll talk about this later on. And I have the greatest respect for Bob Abish and, and Don Smiley. But part of the thing is they say, okay, we're, we're going to stage shows. We're going to do it over three weekends in September. Well, part of the problem they're going to have is where they're going to find the acts because all these big touring events, the, these touring bands, they've shut down for 2020. They're not going to be on the road. They're, yeah, we'll be back in 2021, which, again, highlights one of the issues that's there, that even if you, you try to go ahead, and I understand that State Fair, for example, is less big act and music dependent than maybe you know a summer fest would be. But but still that that's that's a huge component. Let's see. Um da Um Jeff. Please understand how much I would love to go to the fair, but I haven't I haven't gotten the virus. I'm blessed to be working with my wife also. Imagine if 10 people go to the fair with the virus and the people don't know they have it on the same day. That would be a disaster. I, I can't go. Jeff, I don't normally go to the state fair. It's not my thing, but I would absolutely go this year just to show my support for getting things back to normal. Jeff, I would go if masks are mandatory. Okay, well, the problem with, with that is, I mean, the... the the, the experience at State Fair is, is walking around, and, it, and it's eating all the different stuff, and you, you can't eat with the masks on. And if you're going to be taking the mask off and putting it back on, you kind of defeat the, the purpose of that. Um, Jeff, I really hope they can work something out, maybe limit attendance, half capacity at the Expo, focus on outside food, local bands at side stages. I really think something could wor- be worked out. I would definitely go. Jeff, I would go to the fair, and my concerns are very, low. I think this whole thing has been blown way out of proportion. Jeff, if they hold the state fair, I would have just as good a chance to go as I would any other year. I'm really not that concerned about coronavirus. Okay, so that's just kind of a, a sampling of this. Here, here's kind of my take on this. I, and it's, it, again, it, it's informed by my, my feeling that as we "Quote unquote, get back to normal and reopen. We, we have to start prioritizing stuff that makes sense. And, and to me, to me, the mass gatherings, the, the thousands and thousands of people, th- those, and they had over a million people at State Fair." over a million people last year though it's the mass gatherings that you need to be the most concerned about because again that's the situation where you have you know one or two people who are contagious that can come into contact with large numbers of people and then you get the exponential spread and, and look and I understand yeah you you can go into the the liquor store and you can interact with one person and you can get it and then you can give it to your family but that's that's not spreading hundreds and thousands of people. That's the problem. It's the mass gatherings. You look at that, you look at the time frame that we don't know what end of July and August is going to look like as far as mass gatherings. You think of what the nature of state fair is, all the different vendors and the food stuff and the, the going down the giant slide and the... And the, the jumping on the rides and things like that, you you look at all those factors, and I will be honest, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who is a huge fan, I, I just don't see how you can put it together. I, I just don't, especially since you've got to start signing the contracts, you've got to get the stuff lined up. I just don't see how you can do it. And if you're going to try to do it, on an incredibly scaled-down basis. Well, we're not going to have the Expo Center. We're only going to allow prepackaged food or whatever. We're going to make people wear masks. Okay, you've, you've kind of defeated the whole purpose of what it is that so many people love about State Fair. If they had State Fair and our management said, Jeff, you know, we're going to give you the option of broadcasting there or not, would you be willing to take a chance? My answer is, yeah, I I, I would go. I, I would go. I'm not sure they would let me go, though, to be uh, perfectly honest with you. I, I'm not sure how our management would feel about that, even if they held it. I think it's just such a daunting task. And, look, and I'm a guy who's all in favor about reopening stuff. I just think it's such a daunting task. I don't see how they can pull it off. I hope I'm wrong. Back with more in just a minute. This is
0: Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs>
1: At least one texter is saying, as far as they know, some of the local county fairs are, are still on, Waukesha, Jefferson, Dodge. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I guess we'll see as time goes on. Like I say, I, I, I hope... I mean, I hope State Fair can figure out a way to make it work. I'm just looking at the timing and the same decisions that were present, I think, when you saw the cancellation of Fest Italiana and German Fest and and Irish Fest and so many of the other things that I don't see how State Fair ends up getting around that either. I I think one of the real questions is, you know, Summerfest. And I applaud at Summerfest when they made the decision that they were going to, Reschedule moving from the late June early July dates into three weekends in September. I mean, I, I applauded that. I, I just I wonder what's going to happen with that. Number one, because again, you're still going to have the concerns about the mass gatherings. That's that's not going to go anywhere. But also, a lot of the the big touring acts aren't touring anymore. Uh, they they've just decided to cancel it. There's a big story in the Wall Street Journal today about how the the major Many, many big acts, you know, are are handled. The the large concerts are handled by just a couple different, you know, promoters. There, there's Live Nation and there's like one other one as as well. And what they're finding is, for again, a lot of these, a lot of the venues, when, when these these bands go out on the road, what happens is because the cost of production is so great, it it just, it just costs so much money to do this. You you have to have. That's why they call it the tour. You, you have to have a series of dates that are lined up and you have to be able to move from place to place. And, and unless you're going to have, you know, multiple states that have decided to open up and allow these mass gatherings, it, it just doesn't become economically feasible to do it. I mean, you can't just, you know, fly in and do a, a show one day in, in Detroit, Michigan, w- without being able to wrap that around other shows. And there's just so much uncertainty that's there. In addition, One of the other concerns or questions they have is that that so much of the revenue that is generated at these events, it's not just the, the ticket sales. But it's the T-shirt sales, it's the overpriced beer, it's the food, and all those type of things. And there's again real questions about what's that going to look like, you know, moving moving forward. And I think I'm sure that's that's something that they're wrestling with again at, at Miller Park, the the whole idea of or Fiserv or whatever, the fact that you're, you know you can't be passing food, that there there can't be that, that sort of shared. Food experience—you can't have the the condiment things that are out there. It, it's a very very real issue, and and candidly, that's why the story I'm looking at in the Wall Street Journal is suggesting that the the big concerts and even some of the the smaller concerts they might mat- not make a return for for another year until we can kind of get a handle on this story in the local newspaper about Summerfest. Now, keep in mind, this is the year that Summerfest. Unveils the 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 new amphitheater. You know they had made some improvements last year, but this was it. I have not seen it, although I've talked to some friends of mine. I've got some friends on the Summerfest board who have seen it, and they just tell me it is absolutely just a state of the art, spectacular facility. I can't and I can't wait to see it. Um, but the problem is. That many of, of the acts that they had booked, not just for Summerfest, but also through the, the rest of the concert season, you know, many of these acts, they're just they're they're canceling. They're just saying we're we're not coming. Um, last week, four acts: Hall and Oats, Santana, the Black Crows, and Guns and Roses all announced that hey we're we're not um we're not touring in 2020. We're going to push that back to 2021. And so even if you have these things and you've got the venues and you figure you can do it safely, the bands aren't going to come back at least not for the foreseeable future. So just a, a real challenge for the industry. I can't I mean I can't wait for you know all this to you know happen. So we'll you know we'll I can't wait for it to get started again. I'm just There is a practical concern, especially when it comes to the large mass gatherings. And again, I'm the guy that's here advocating, let's let the small businesses open up, let's let the small restaurants open up, but the mass gatherings, the thousands and thousands of people getting together, I think we're a ways away from that. All right. Now, one of the things that I think people acknowledge that it's kind of going to be a key to getting us, quote-unquote, back to the real normal, you know, where we're not uncomfortable going into the shopping malls. We're not uncomfortable going to baseball games. We're not uncomfortable going to basketball games. We're not uncomfortable going to large events like State Fair or Summerfest where we're sitting crammed into those bleachers and things like that. One of the things that, that, that changes that essentially makes uh, coronavirus go away is when you get vaccinations. When they develop a vaccine for this, an effective, safe vaccine, the and and they're able to distribute it in a mass fashion that it will go away or at least i think a lot of people's concerns about this will go away as we have talked about on multiple occasions though the key to that is that a large number of people be willing to go and, and be vaccinated and as we've already discussed i know that there's there's many people out there who say they're they're reluctant to be vaccinated um and there's certainly not going to be willing to be vaccinated in the first wave. The the whole idea being, well, you know, we, we don't know. They might say it's safe, and then, you know, who knows? All these people get vaccinated, and then suddenly there, there turns out to be some other huge problem that people didn't anticipate. So, I mean, a number of people, and you know who you are, and I, I get it, have said, look, you know, we're, we're not even anti-vaccinations. You know, we're, not, we're not those people, but, you know, they're going to rush whatever they get. They're going to try to get it out as soon as possible, and we don't want to be the quote-unquote guinea pigs. You know, maybe a year or two we'll, we'll be willing to do it, but we don't want to do it right away. All right, so given the fact that adults in the U.S. typically delay or skip all sorts of vaccinations, you know, if, if there is a vaccine that is available sometime in the fall or the winter and people decide that they're not going to get it, should they be forced to? Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We we say in some states that you can't send your kids to public schools unless they have been vaccinated, unless there is a, an overriding health issue. That is extremely controversial. There are real smart legal scholars out there that think that the government has the authority in a public health matter to order that people get vaccinations. They, they, they think that, they, I mean, there's some people that, that say they do it. Just, as I frequently say on this show, though, just because you may have a right to do something, and by the way, I take no position on the question of whether or not the government has the right to legally require you to get a vaccination. All right, so let, let's put that aside. But just because you have the right to do something doesn't necessarily mean it, it's the right thing to do. All right, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Once we develop a vaccine, whenever that is, should people be legally required to get to take that vaccine? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And should the government require anybody who does not have a legitimate health concern, I mean a health issue, should they be required to get the vaccine for COVID nineteen when it is developed? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just
0: a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. You are listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620.
1: That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A lot of really smart legal scholars thinks the government has the right in a public health crisis to require you to be immunized. So if you when we develop a vaccine to for for COVID-19 and, and who knows when that's going to be. But when we develop it, there will be a, a certain percentage of the population. I don't know. I don't know, who choose not to get vaccinated. Should the government be able to require people to get that vaccination? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tristan in Wapaka. Tristan, you're first. Good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you?
1: I'm good. Okay, should the government be able to force you to get the vaccination?
3: Uh, Truthfully, no. I don't think that they should. Uh, I understand the public health crisis of it and, you know, needing to look out for everybody. Um, But right now we're living in a world where if you want to go outside, you should go or it's personal choice. Um, I think that's what it's going to boil down to with the vaccine as well. Um, I think what we will see, let's say we live in a world hypothetically where the vaccine is is available everywhere. Uh, Once you get it, I would foresee maybe hospitals issuing a medical card, something proving that you have been. Um, And I could see small businesses putting up restrictions uh you need to be vaccinated in order because they can obviously deny to serve anybody for whatever reason um but I could foresee yeah. that happening, and then you know that would start a whole other chapter in this whole COVID thing and controversial and arguments. And well, well but
1: but, you, but your point, for it, You see, you make an outstanding point because well, let's talk about the flu shot. Um, there are a number of people in a number of dis- different industries. I mean, if you work as a healthcare worker now, there's you work in a hospital. Many hospitals, maybe most hospitals, require you to get the flu shot because you're going to be around sick people, or and and so you know you don't right. have a choice. You. If, if you want to, if you want to be a nurse at X Hospital, you got to get the shot. So I think you're right. Businesses could certainly say, "Hey, look we we don't want you getting this and coming in and infecting other employees." I, I think you probably will see that you don't have to work here, but if you do work here, you better have that vaccination.
3: Absolutely, and like I said, I think that will. Uh, you mentioned this being very controversial. I think that will spark a whole new wave in this COVID chapter. Uh, We'll see a lot of, you know, people are already freaking out if they have to wear masks in certain businesses. So it's going to be. Let's get the shots.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Thanks for the call, Tristan. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I. Let me just answer it this way. I, I, I don't know about whether the government should require people to get vac. Has the, has the legal authority to do it. So we're, we're, we're pushing past that. And I'm not one of these anti-vaccination guys. As, as I've said, my conversation, once they develop something, is going to be with my doctor. And I'm going to. Say, I, I mean, I, I trust him when he tells me to get these different shots and all. And and if my doc says, Jeff, I, I think this is appropriate for you. I'm that. That's why I have a doctor. Okay. And so I'm. I'm going to. You know, do in this particular area. You know, what medical science says is best. And I'm. And it's easier for me because. Again, I don't have. I don't. I don't have adverse reactions, or I haven't in my entire life, to shots and things like that. But that is an individual decision that I'm making. I don't think the government. Even if it has the authority, I don't think the government should be telling people in these particular situations that you you have to get this particular vaccination. Now, it's one thing that that's just as a general rule. Now, if you want to limit things like, for example, I think it is perfectly reasonable to say, hey, if you're going to send kids to public schools, you know, they, they have to be protected and you have to have the vaccines if you want to take, you know, advantage of that. So I do think that there's limitations and there's things that you can do to encourage people to again get that vaccine. But if the government were to come out and say, Okay, now this is mandatory, what I think's gonna happen is you're just gonna have it, it's just going to be an ultimate nightmare because there's going to be a large percentage of people who are just going to flat out refuse to do it. And, and then what happens? Do we start putting people in prison for for doing that? It's one of the reasons why at the same time that you develop a vaccine, it's also so important to develop a, a therapeutic. In other words, something they have like, like Tamiflu now, something that if you get it, you can take it and it can minimize the, the consequences. Um, no, admittedly, not for everybody. Let's see, our text line has just exploded. Um, Jeff, I would say no, they should not be required To take the vaccine, if you're sick from COVID and you are at risk of possibly dying, you can take the vaccine and save your life. Well, not after you have it, Jeff. If people in this country feel coronavirus is so dangerous that they need to shut off the economy and cause financial destruction, then people better be willing to get the vaccination. Um, If people are willing to think it's as bad as that, they better be willing to take the, you know, shots. Um, Jeff, if people have the antibodies, why should they need the vaccine? We can test for that now. Well, okay, M- you know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's exemptions. Jeff, if a bona fide vaccine comes out, anyone who took federal stimulus should be required to take it. Jeff, you will see a civil war if the government tries to push, mand- tries to mandate that people get vaccine, get vaccinated with a vaccine that has not been properly. Um, researched. Well, okay, the, the thing would be, you know, forget the proper research. I mean, what, there, there's there's all sorts of vaccines now that have been properly researched and have been in use for years and years, and still people make the decision that they're not going to get it. Jeff, even if the government mandate you have to take the shot, I guarantee you 30% of the country would not take it, which again raises the issue of what do you do with those 30%. I don't think it's going to come to that. I, I think candidly what's going to end up happening is that once Once we get the vaccine, I think that there's going to be a large enough number of people that are going to make the decision that they're going to take it so that you're going to be well on the way to developing that sort of herd mentality that you need. Other people might be at risk, but it's going to be an increasingly smaller number of people. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Hey, an update on a story that got a lot of attention when, when it first broke about a year ago. Um, Lori Loughlin, who is, of course, uh, the most best known as, as a television actress, I guess, but she's also done a bunch of movies. And, and she's married to this fashion designer. She's worth tens of millions of dollars. And, and she and her husband were caught up in the whole... Um, a college admission scandal. Apparently what they did is they, they paid five half a million dollars in, in bribes. Half a million dollars in bribes to try to um get their kids into get their kids into schools. So it was one of those sort of situations where, you know, they 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 paid it, and the, the way that this was worked out is it was done in a situation where they they were doing this whole thing in an effort to try to um, get their kids into schools. And they, they had them um, fake these things that the kids were going to be like college rowers or something like that. So they went through all this, this rigmarole. They paid this guy half a million dollars. There was bribes that was paid, et cetera. And, and this whole thing ended up blowing up on them. So they got into a situation where they, they got charged. In any event, a number of other parents have pled guilty. They were fighting it, announcing today that now Lori Laughlin and her husband are going to plead guilty to mail fraud. They're going to... Um, get I think a, a nasty fine of course and they're going to do 2 months in in federal prison at some point in time some white collar prison the thing that has been bizarre to me about this story all along is that you know that, that you would have to go through all these gyrations to try to get to a situation where you're going to um, to get the kids into school these these people are super rich you would think that you would be able to find a particular school where you Go up to the dean and you say, look, here's the deal. I want my two daughters to go to USC, and I'm willing to, I don't know, I'm willing to build a wing onto the the science dorm or whatever, and and, and here's the money. Here, take them in. And and they do that routinely. Why you would do that as opposed to jumping through all these other hoops, absolutely beyond me. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, lots of great stuff on the program, including... All right, what about a second lockdown? Would we tolerate that? And is it time to give up eating meat? Stick around. That's all coming up in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Is the genie out of the bottle? All across the state of Wisconsin, with a couple notable exceptions, we are starting to reopen. Dane County, and I, I sent out a tweet about this Dwayne, Dane County has the, these, it's this bizarre set of of rules and different guidelines and standards which makes very little sense in many respects but is almost impossible to get to you you get to the idea that dane county where there's actually recently has not had that many instances of new cases of coronavirus even with the actual the increased testing looks like dane county might not be getting businesses open in any sort of meaningful fashion for you know who knows how long what that's going to do there i don't know tom barrett He's the same way. He says, well, look, I'm, I'm going to use my authority as the mayor. We think that there is still this ongoing health pandemic, and, you know, we're we're not going to be opening stuff up, but because I'm getting political heat from certain parts of this community, then I'm going to open up the barbershops, you know, which he didn't say that, but that's kind of what happened. It's sort of this bizarre sort of thing that, okay, you know, there's some politically powerful people who want some things opened up, so we're going to open them up, but, but Tom Barrett, trying to keep Milwaukee locked down, Dane County keeping itself locked down, most of the rest of the state, not all, but most of the rest of the state starting to reopen. And again, I I think it's a good idea because I think the truth of the matter is that COVID-19 is going to be with us. and, And so What we need to do is we need to figure out how we're going to live with it. We need to recognize that that people are going to get sick. We need to keep it out of the nursing homes. We need to keep it away from the people who are most likely to have very serious results if they get it. We need to try to be aware of the events where you might have the super spreaders, which is why I think that it's going to be a while before you have gatherings of thousands and thousands of people. But as far as allowing restaurants to open, allowing barbershops and hair salons to reopen, allowing smaller businesses to reopen with whatever rules they might want to put into place, wear a mask inside, those things. I I think that's the reality. Now, I also understand that there is going to be another reality, and you've got the media that's just waiting for this. COVID-19 is going to be with us for the foreseeable future, until there is a therapeutic, until there is, is a vaccine. So as you increase the testing, there's going to be more people that test positive. So, and you're, you're already starting to see this. There's already, the last couple days, there, there's been an increase in the number of COVID-19 cases. And so already it's like, well, they, the, the, we've opened, we're starting to open up the state, and there's already a number of cases that have gone up. It, well, the, the state's only been, quote, unquote, open for a couple days. I think, you know, chances are these people are probably folks who have been walking around with COVID for a while, and they've just finally gotten around to getting tested. But, look, I understand that you are going to have an, arguably an increased number of people who are going to test positive for this. And it's going to be with us for a while, which is all the more reason why people need to, I mean, be smart about when they go out and practice good hygiene. And we need to concentrate our efforts, so again, on keeping it away from the most vulnerable sort of, sort of people. But the numbers, they're, they're going to bounce around and, and they might very well go up. Now, I think it is unlikely. That you're going to see the, the hospital systems overwhelmed by this, which is the real, it's one of the justifications for the, the crackdown in, in the past. That was it. We don't want the, we don't want this to be New York. And, and thankfully, we weren't New York. Most of the country wasn't New York. The hospital systems in Wisconsin didn't come close to being overwhelmed. It, it just, it, it didn't. But, you know, you're going to see these numbers undoubtedly increase as more people get tested. So there is going to be pressure at least from some elected officials and on some elected officials to try to put the genie back in the bottle, to go to that that, that barbershop or that hair salon where the people have been out of work for, for two months. And if we have a, a spike in the numbers, oh, my gosh, we've got more people that are testing positive, there's going to be pressure on some people to say, all right, we need to go back to where we were in early March. We need to lock down the state again. Let us go back to the badger bounce-back thing at the earliest stages where only the Walmarts and only the Targets can stay open and restaurants have to close, period. I mean, there is going to be, and mark my words, there's going to be pressure on from some circles when the numbers go up, and I think the numbers probably will go up, not necessarily the deaths going up exponentially and not the hospitals overwhelmed, but people are going to, going to get this. That, that's just the reality. And there's going to be pressure to roll back the clock and try to go back to the lockdowns. Our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Do you think the general population, would you tolerate going back, if the government were to come out with an order and say, okay, we're going back to where we were last March, we're locking down the state again, what would be the public reaction? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, I think is a matter of political reality. I don't think you can do that. I, I don't think... There's any political will among the large number of people to do it, and I don't think the majority of the people would support that. And I don't see how, after darn near bankrupting so many businesses over the course of the last couple months, we could suddenly say, oh, we're going to shut you down again, and and you've got to go back to where you were 60 days from now, 60 days ago. I think whatever we do moving forward has to recognize the reality that we can't shut down the state Again, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight
1: five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just, I, I don't, I think the genie is out of the bottle. I, I think the I think people, as a general rule, especially when when COVID-19 was new and we didn't know, you know, what the effects could have been and how disastrous it could have been, and we saw what was going on in New York. I, I think people complied, but I, I think there is quarantine fatigue. I think we're starting to recognize what we did. And I'm not going to criticize the decisions that were made, but I think, you know, when we look back on this, I I think you can argue that maybe we should have targeted the higher risk areas. Maybe it didn't make sense to close a lot of businesses and leave others open. I, I think that there's... Lots of fair stuff that you can say now that we know, you know, we can look at what we did. We were well-intentioned a couple months ago, but I don't think that there's any way as a practical matter that we can turn around and we can now say, hey, all you businesses that, that were closed for, for two months and you've survived on all this, well, now we're going to close you again. I, I just – I don't see that as a reasonable sort of thing. Now, you know, can you tinker around the edges? Can you say, okay, we're not going to have the mass gatherings and things like that? A- absolutely. But I think we're now at a point where we're going to have to figure out how to live with, with COVID-19 and we're going to have to trust people to be responsible. I, I don't see there being any will to shut down the state again and I don't see how you can go to businesses like I say that have been absolutely crippled people that have lost their jobs hey you're going to get your job back but don't worry three weeks from now we might take it away from you Um, you know not going to happen Jeff okay let's go to the text I think like everything these days People's behavior will allow political party lines um, to to follow. Loyal liberal Democrats will comply again, feeling it necessary. Libertarians and conservative Republicans will refuse, rebel, and engage in civil disobedience. Well, I, I hope it certainly doesn't come to that. Um, Jeff, what don't you get? The more you open things up, the more cases there will be. Majority of people don't follow rules. Well, I that I understand. Right, the more you open up the more cases there will be. My point is you have to figure out how to live with that because you can't close the country and you can't close the state for a year or two or three years, which is why you have to concentrate on trying to make sure that fewer people you know, engage in behavior that's likely to get them sick, and you have to concentrate your efforts on keeping it out of, again, the nursing homes where people who get it are likely to have really bad consequences. But if the goal is absolute safety... You're exactly right. You're not going to. You're exactly right. You're not going to do it. But the the goal of the lockdowns was never absolute safety. The goal of the lockdowns was make sure the healthcare system doesn't get overwhelmed. That has now morphed in some people's minds into absolute safety. Well, you're you're not going to be able to get it. And I don't think it's practical, Jeff. No way. I would have zero tolerance for another lockdown think most people do jeff i can tell you right now nobody's going to allow the sheriff and nobody's going to allow it sheriff and police departments will not enforce it i think you've seen the last of the lockdowns all right 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line gianni and montello you're in wtmj
2: good afternoon Uh, good afternoon jeff um listen um I don't foresee a lockdown or anything like that coming this summer. But I, I am worried about the autumn when we get into the seasonal flu, and then we have to deal uh, with with Corona nineteen again. As you say, it's not going away. But I guess my question to you would be: um, Is this uh, is is the governor shutting down a certain segment of the economy a constitutional issue? Um, you're closer to being a constitutional scholar than me, so uh, could you speak on that? Um, does this violate um, the, the 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 Constitution of the United States? Maybe the, the... well,
1: th- well, no. Thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. I, I mean, my, my short answer is 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 I, I don't I don't know. My my short answer is no. I don't think so. To because I mean. The the government always has broad authority when you're dealing with, you know, health pandemics to regulate things in to in order to control the the pandemic. So I think that there is broad There's broad discretion, and they're allowed. And I I think, you know, ultimately, from a constitutional perspective, I think that there's there's authority. Now, the state Supreme Court said the governor didn't have the authority to do what he did by himself. I I will give you an interesting note, though. Keep in mind, that was a four-to-three decision. One of the members of the Supreme Court, Justice Kelly who who was involved in that decision he's he's leaving he lost his reelection bid and so he lost his election bid so he's going to be leaving in august so i mean it's very much you know what what happens when you have a, a liberal justice who comes on who perhaps would be much more inclined to this, to side with the other side what happens if if that whole issue gets replayed now i again you know would the supreme court reverse itself i, I just throw that out there as a question you know and say okay no the governor does have the authority to do it I just think that I, I don't think the the governed, that is us, I, I don't think people, when we've looked at what the carnage, the economic carnage of this has been, I don't think people are going to tolerate saying, okay, we're, we're going to shut down again. One of the reasons I think that the lockdowns had such great support in the beginning was the fact that there were so many unknown things about, about COVID-19, you know, and what what actually is the fatality rate, and, and nobody wants to get sick, but, but who is it? Who is it that this is going to hit the hardest? Well, well now we we know, and we've talked about this, you know, quite a bit. I mean, we understand that, you know, nobody wants to get it, and the people that get it are, are going to get sick. Most of the people are going to recover. The people who are less likely to recover, older people, And the older you get, the more vulnerable you are. And then people with a couple of these pre-existing sort of conditions. And then you couple obesity, hypertension with somebody who's in their 80s. And, and yeah, COVID-19 is really, really bad. So... I think moving forward, the effort has to be to concentrate on trying to protect the most vulnerable among us. But if you want to have absolute safety, it's just it's just not there. And, and if we're looking for absolute safety, well, all right, can we then literally say we have to shelter in place for a year or two? And, and the answer would be no. And, again, I go back to what I've been saying repeatedly. I think people are, in general, smart. I, I think people and you're starting to see that. People aren't rushing out in in large groups, which, by the way, I sent out, a. if you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. There was a real interesting piece in, in the local newspaper yesterday. After the Supreme Court decision that Wednesday night there were a handful of bars across the state that reopened, and it's just really a handful. And and I don't fault the TV stations. They're looking to try to get ratings and stuff, and they ran out and they found a couple of these bars that had a lot of people in them. Actually, even some of the bars that were open didn't have that many people in them, but people weren't wearing masks because you can't drink beer and have a sandwich and eat while you're, you're wearing a mask. And they found a college bar in Platteville, and, and they ran this, and that became the national story. It's interesting because we are now tracked and one of the things many of us have the cell phones, and we have the tracking data that, that's available. So the, these researchers can go back and they can look at that data, and they can see movement. And interestingly, um, since the since the bars and restaurants have opened, um, by tracking using that tracking data, there's only been a three percent increase in total movement, which is what I was saying all along. I mean, I understand there's always going to be these isolated situations where where people run out and pack into the crowded bar, but that's not most people because most of us, we, we don't want to get sick. You know, yeah, yeah, I I like being able to get my hair cut this morning. But you know, I I don't want I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get the woman who cut my hair sick. So yeah, we'll we'll wear masks if we're asked to do that and we'll, you know, make sure the that there's not, you know, people that are piled in on top of each other and you're not gonna have the waiting rooms. Most people are willing to do that. And and most most businesses, they don't want to get their clients sick, and for most people, if it's a situation where, oh, gosh, you know, I, I don't want to go and I don't want to sit for 20 minutes on a bench, you know, jammed in with all sorts of other people, they're, they're not going to go do that. Most people are, are smart, and, and that's why, and I think that's what the, the numbers that you were seeing are. You know, even though we've opened stuff up, there hasn't been the, this mass mass increase in movement of people. It's why I think we can trust people, but it's also one of the reasons why, and this is a lesson to Governor Evers, and it's a lesson to the people out in Dane County, and it should be a lesson to Tom Barrett, that this genie is now kind of out of the bottle, and and you better, moving forward, just telling people that they can't do something, all right, we're, we're now past that. We have to figure out what the plan B is, and my suggestion would be allow people to do what they want mass gatherings aside, that's a different story, but start to allow people to do what they want, but make sure that they know how to do that safely and encourage them to do that and encourages the businesses to do that safely. Just saying, Jeff Wagner,
0: WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Thanks for joining us. I've been waiting for a couple of days to to discuss this particular topic with you. And and there was a actually an opinion piece in the New York Times today which kind of pushed me over the edge and said, "Okay, this this is when we talk about it." The there was a story the other day, America's obsession with cheap meat. Now, if if you look at where we've had let's talk talk about Wisconsin if you look at where we've had the the coronavirus hotspots over the course of the last couple of weeks what you've seen is it's been you know Milwaukee County for a lot of reasons um, including the fact that there's some meat processing places in in Milwaukee County, and of course, you know Brown County, where you had an outbreak of coronavirus that started in some of the, the meat packing facilities, right? And that's that's what's been driving a lot of the larger numbers. So, uh, and that is not uncommon. Um, if you look at last week, the White House came out with like six. They came out with 10 coronavirus hotspots, and six of them were, were sent around areas that, that were meat processing. And apparently what, what's been happening, or at least what did happen, was that you'd have coronavirus that, that got somebody – got infected that worked at a meat plant and then they ended up infecting other people and then in a lot of these meat plants what you have is the employees live in close proximity to each other so then they'd go home and they'd infect their their families you also look at some of the stuff and some of the ways that for example you know the the meat plants were were operating and you have lots of people it's it's a miserable job. It, it really is. You have people that are on assembly lines and they're very close to each other and they're in very close proximity to each other and the the face mask, there's, there's water and stuff and the face masks are getting wet and people are pulling them across and they're touching stuff. It, it's it's a difficult situation. Now, the meat companies are trying to adapt to this, and, and what you see now is you see they're operating like at, at half production. What they've done is they've separated, they, they've separated workers on the line, which means that they can't process as much meat, which is one of the reasons why you have, again, meat prices that, that are going up. So the the companies are trying to address this. But nevertheless, it's one of these industries where if you care about COVID nineteen, there 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 is it's an inherently risky thing. Okay. I, I can do my job sitting in my, my upstairs office. But you know, meat packing and you know, meat slaughtering, the slaughterhouse and stuff, you're you're on the line and you're there and you're you're interacting with, with other people and there's almost there's only so much that you can end up doing. You can do the best you can, and I think it's fair to criticize some of these meat operations as saying that they didn't do enough up front, but nevertheless it's it's something that's going to be vulnerable because you're going to be close to people and like I say, in a lot of the plants the the workers you know live close to the plants, they you know live close together. it's just the nature of that so anyhow that that that's just the, the background and if we're going to continue to eat meat. We're going to have to realize that there are going to be some risks that are associated with it. Which brings me to this story that appears in the New York Times today's opinion piece. The end of meat is here. If you care about the working poor, if you care about racial justice, if you care about climate change, you have to stop eating animals. Let me just read your first couple paragraphs. Is any panic more primitive than one prompted by the thought of empty grocery store shelves? Is any relief more primitive than one provided by comfort food? All right. Most everyone has been doing more cooking these days, more documenting of the cooking, more thinking about food in general. The combination of meat shortages and President Trump's decision to order slaughterhouses open despite the protests of endangered workers has inspired many Americans to consider just how essential meat is. Is it more essential than the lives of the working poor who labor to produce it? It seems so. An astonishing six out of ten counties that the White House itself identified as coronavirus hotspots are home to the very slaughterhouses the president has ordered open. And then it goes on. Despite this grisly reality and the widely reported effects of factory farm industry on America's lands, communities and animals, and human health long before this pandemic hit, only around half of Americans say they are trying to reduce their meat consumption. Meat is embedded in our culture and personal histories in ways that matter too much. And then it goes on and on and on. And then it says people need to be aware, and this is the time, people need to use COVID-19 as the motivating factor to get off of meat, to stop eating meat because it's dangerous for the workers who produce it, and then it's got all the other problems as well. You've got you know a disproportionate number of the working poor who have to put themselves as risk to doing this. So let us tee this up. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, we, we've seen the outbreaks and we've seen a disproportionate impact on people who are working, you know, in, in the meat industry. No question about it. All right, should we make this decision? I'm not talking about government action. This isn't the government's closing them down, but should we make a commitment that, you know, we're we're not going to eat meat anymore. We're going to stop this. We're going to stop exploiting the working poor We care about racial justice. We care about climate change. We're going to use coronavirus as the excuse to, I don't know, get meat off our diet. Are you willing to take that step? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: 855-616-1620.
1: That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand when I launch into this, some of you might be kind of rolling your eyes saying that this can't be serious. I am telling you that this, you are starting to see this more and more. The idea being that First of all, there's always been a lot of people who who didn't believe in eating meat to begin with. And now, never wanting to waste a good crisis, you have the fact that, all right, you've got these disproportionate number of people who work in this particular industry who've come down with with COVID-19, so maybe this is a recognition that we need to protect these people. And the only way we can do that is by shutting down the the meat plants. And that means that maybe it's time for America to, to give up eating meat. And if you are a responsible, concerned citizen, you would do that. To which I, I would say, all right, first of all, the, the, there, there's lots of industries where just, just the nature of the business is stuff that people are going to be a- exposed. That That's it. You're working on an assembly line. Are, are we going to do away with cars? Because, you know, in, in many cases, you know, you've seen outbreaks of, again, COVID-19 at, at auto plants or things like that. Are, are we going to do that? My answer would be no. Secondly, what, what would be the effect if suddenly we flipped a switch and we decided okay we're not gonna eat meat anymore think about think about the effect that that would have on, on the overall economy as it stands right now it, it is a brutal time to be a farmer who raises poultry who raises pork who raises cattle it, it's a brutal time one of my um, very good friends Worked for most of his life. He's retired now, but he worked for most of his life in the meat industry. And, and I have been talking about this. He still has a number of friends who work actually in, in the whole Brown County area. And I was saying, you know, what's been going on with this? He said, it's you know, it's brutal. He said, first of all, the the way the the supply chain works is that you have you know farmers who who raise. And I understand that some people are going to be uncomfortable with this, but but animals are raised for slaughter. Animals are raised to be turned into meat that that the rest of us that we eat, all right? And so there, there's these time limits on this. For example, you raise, let's say you raise pigs, right? There's, there's this idea is, okay, at a certain point in time, whether it's four months or whatever this is, that's when the pigs have been raised, and that's when they're sent off to slaughter. Well, what's going on right now is because you have the meat plants that are operating at reduced capacity, what happens is there, there's a backlog of hogs, and so you know what does the farmer do? You've raised all the, these hogs, and now you know you, you can't get them to market. So what what do you end up doing with with them? It's creating just huge ripples through the entire supply chain. Can you imagine what would happen if people would suddenly decide to flip a switch and say, okay, well well now's the time that we're going to give this up, Jeff? I'm willing here's some text. I'm willing to, pr- to pay more to protect workers and improve their conditions in order to keep eating meat. Well, you're you're going to end up doing that. Now, whether it's going to end up protecting the workers or not, I don't know. But again, you know, I'm a supply and demand guy. and, And what's going to happen is the demand for meat isn't going anywhere. That's just the reality. The demand for meat is not going to change. The supply, at least in the short term, though, that's where you're having the problem. Because again, the meat packing plants, because they're again, spacing people out, they've, they've, they're they not able to process as much meat as they were before, so there, there's less stuff coming out. So as a result of that, yeah, you're gonna end up having to pay more, whether that translates into um, you know, other stuff, I don't know. Jeff, what about the millions of Americans who make their living from farming and beef? Yeah, well, actually, the guy that wrote this opinion piece doesn't care about them. Um, let's see. Um, dot, 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 dot. Let's see. I, am, I eat a largely vegetarian diet because of many reasons, but I won't propose that decision on you. To me, it's an individual choice. You're right, this is truly an example of not letting a good crisis go to waste. Um, this, even as a largely vegetarian person, makes me cringe. Um, Jeff, as a Sicilian, <laughs> that's what the text says, as a Sicilian, my family eats more fish and grains and such than many others, but we're not gonna stop eating meat, period. Jeff, I'm a vegan. We can live without meat, but still, stopping meat production will do what? It'll put a lot of people out of work. I hope the folks who want to see this happen have other jobs lined up for the people. Jeff, we're carnivores. We eat meat. How about we educate people so they don't become the working poor? Leave my, <laughs> leave my pork chops alone. Jeff, this is goofy. Um, and again, there's, there's a food chain here and some people or some animals are lower on the food chain. Jeff, if we eliminate meat from our diet, where are we going to get all the land to grow all the fruits and vegetables and grains that would be required to feed the entire nation? All of these are are valid, valid points. Um, look, this, this is the bottom line. Jeff, it doesn't matter to me one way or the other because I buy my beef from a local farm in Ozaki County. The cows are free of steroids and graze on all natural feed. I buy half a cow at a time after getting it butchered and wrapped. The beef costs me under $3 a pound. That includes steaks and hamburger patties already prepared. It, it's perfect. Well, I appreciate that and respect that, but to me... It's still a situation of, I mean, I like going to the grocery store and I like saying, okay, today we're going to have chicken and tomorrow we're going to have hamburger and on Saturday we're going to treat ourselves and we're going to have steaks and that's the way that we're going to end up doing it. The end of meat is here. That's what the headline story says in the New York Times today, at least the opinion piece. I don't think so. Now, might we have to pay a little bit more in the short run for this? Yes. Do we need to make sure that the meat packing plants follow all the OSHA rules and things like that? Absolutely. But the end of meat? I don't think so. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. You know, there's. When when it comes to what we're dealing with now, you know, coronavirus, there there are very, very serious concerns. And I I think people are well-intentioned as to what some of the things that they want to do. And I, I think hopefully we have learned from some of the stuff we did a couple months ago and we see what's worked than what really is unnecessary and some of the stuff that we did that, that probably didn't make any sense and I, I hope we can learn from that stuff moving forward but it is always interesting to me to me about the things that the people obsess about and there's a story like that going on in, in the news today President Trump who is of course a lightning rod for for things and and don't get me wrong he brings a lot of it on himself that that's just the reality I think that even the most hardcore supporter of President Trump should acknowledge that many of the president's problems are, are are self-induced, which isn't to say, and again, as I always say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people are, aren't out to get you, because people clearly are, are are out to get him. You have a confrontational media that, you know, cuts him absolutely no slack, But but he, in some respects, kind of makes it worse with some of the stuff he does, and earlier this week or late last week, his report that he was... We just throws out that he that he's taken this very very controversial drug. It's you know this controversial treatment. Well, that that started a thing on a couple of days. Well, today he is, and I think as we're speaking, he's en route right now. He he may be there, but he's visiting a, a Ford manufacturing plant in Michigan. Now the Ford plant in Michigan, and one of the reasons he's visiting it is because they've they've changed over. They've switched from auto production to um, they're, they're producing ventilators and things like that. So he, he's visiting this particular plant and it's it's in you know, on the southwest side of Detroit. Uh, Detroit is, of course in Michigan. The governor of Michi- Michigan is Gretchen Whitmer, and she is arguably the most aggressive, Let's shut everything down. One of the most, like, militant, let's use the power of the government to lock down the economy in order to make people safe. She's arguably the most militant governor when it comes to that, all right? So that's been the battle, and and she and President Trump have been going back and forth and stiping each other for for a while. So President Trump is coming. He's going to visit this auto plant. The auto plant has a rule. And the rule says people who come in here should wear masks. Now, again, we've we've talked about the whole mask thing on this program on on, on multiple occasions. I, I think, regardless of how you feel about masks, I think it is it's reasonable for it's reasonable for a, a business to impose the rules. You can can certainly make a suggestion to people in general that that they should be wearing masks out in public and that's all well and good. But but I think clearly a business has the right to say, if you're going to come in and you're going to patronize the business, you should wear masks. They they have the right to do that, no no problem with with that at all. So the Ford plant, they, they, they want you to wear masks, all right? So the president doesn't like to wear masks. Now, the president is tested on a regular basis, and the chances of him having COVID-19 and passing it on are probably slim to none because he's tested on a regular basis. But the rules say you wear masks. Now you've got, and so there's this huge question about whether the president will, in fact, do that. You've got the attorney general saying, well, if he doesn't do this, he's violating our our laws, and, you know, we might instruct him not to come back and visit other plants. And, And the whole thing has just kind of exploded from a a political perspective. And I guess I look at one of these things, and I think, gosh, all the stuff that's going on here in the world uh, on all the different real-world issues that we have, there are, I cannot tell you how many stories are out there, headline in the Washington Post, Trump has legal and moral responsibility to wear a mask on Ford plant tour, Michigan Attorney General says, that, that with all the different major issues here, we're obsessing one way or or the other. You've got the governor, you've got the Attorney General, who are clearly trying to score political points by going after the president on the province that he might not wear a mask. Then you've got the president who is stubbornly refusing, at least apparently, to to wear a mask at these different events. This is one where you want to say to everybody, look, just we got to get past all this stuff. If I were President Trump and I was taking the tour, I would wear the mask. They, They want other people to wear a mask, so you wear a mask. What's the big deal? When you are giving your speech... Well, okay, you're separated from other people, then you pull down the mask, you give your speech, and then, you know, you put the mask back on as you're walking through this. As far as the governor and the attorney general, given the mess that is in Michigan right now, considering everything with coronavirus and their shutdowns and the flooding, maybe you'd have more things, more pressing things to worry about than whether or not they wore a mask. It's just one of these things where everybody's behaving like a 12-year-old. I'm sorry, that's an insult to 12-year-olds. When we come back, If they open it, will you go? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. uh, This is, of course, Memorial Day weekend. It's a Memorial Day unlike any other because all... With a couple minor exceptions, all the different Memorial Day, the Memorial Day parades, a lot of the events that are held at at cemeteries have pretty much been canceled in an effort to uh, avoid large groups gathering. And it's just it is extremely unfortunate, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that we should forget what Memorial Day is all about. For that reason, as is a tradition here at WTMJ, um, we're going to do some special. Memorial Day related programming tomorrow during the one o'clock hour of, of my show you know we, we typically do this almost every year and and it, it tends to be very well received so we for a number of people who said are, are you going to do some of the Memorial Day remembrances that you guys always do and the answer is yeah, yeah. At one o'clock hour of my program tomorrow we're going to be doing some of it you know right before the break I, I was talking about the the whole, you know, wedding match between the governor of Michigan and President Trump over wearing masks and all, and you just want to kind of just say to everybody, let's just grow up about this this whole thing, and especially given all the things that are going on in Michigan right now and the things that are going on in the country, you know, the the, the two of you, is this really what we're going to have all the, these headlines that are going to be about? And I did make the comment that when it comes to when it comes to using big government restrictions, uh, the, the Michigan governor is is probably the most out there and then actually one of our, our listeners correctly corrected me he said well jeff don't forget about hawaii which if you haven't heard this story I, I told it a little bit yesterday um hawaii which of course has when it comes to dealing with coronavirus they have the advantage to an extent of being an island they can you know, or a series of islands they can control people coming to Hawaii in an event in a way that you can't control people coming to, to Wisconsin or coming to Michigan or going to Indiana or whatever. And if you haven't seen this, if, if you have plans to go to Hawaii, my, my advice would be don't, because they're very clear they don't want you there. They, they really they, they don't. Um, and it's kind of crippled the tourism industry. But, but here's the deal right now. If you fly to Hawaii, so let's say the the. Let's say you fly to the island of Oahu, which is where Waikiki Beach is and all that, Pearl Harbor is there. So let's say you have plans to fly there. So what's going to happen is as you get off the plane, you are going to be met by representatives from the, the, the locality, from the city. And what they're going to do is they are going to take your information, they're going to take your temperature make sure that you're not sick. They are going to take your cell phone number, then they're gonna call it to make sure it works. Then they're going to ask you, where are you staying? And you have to have a hotel reservation. And then they're gonna call the hotel to make sure that you have a hotel reservation, that you are in fact there. If you refuse to answer any of these questions, they are going to turn you over to law enforcement. Or if your answers don't work out, they're turning you over to law enforcement, and you will be confined at the airport until you can get on an airplane going back where you came from. I mean, that's the extent. Okay, so then what happens? So let's say you pass all that. Your cell phone works. You've got reservations at, uh, you know, Hilton or whatever. Here's the deal. You are under a mandatory 14-day quarantine to your room in the hotel. Now, you might say, Jeff, how is that going to be enforced? Well, here's the deal. You go to the hotel. You check in. They give you a key. But, you know, nowadays we all use the, the, the electronic keys. You know, you don't have the old keys. And typically what happens when you check into a hotel, let's say you go to a hotel in Las Vegas, you're staying for three days. When they when they get your key, you know, they code it so it's good for three days, right? All right, you try to use it after that, it's no good. Well, the keys that they are giving out in Hawaii are single-use keys. In other words, you can go in, you can open the room, and then they're no good anymore. So if you leave the room, if you leave your hotel room, you're not going to be able to get back in. Unless you go down to the desk and unless you explain why it was that you left the room and give them a good enough reason, or else you're not going to be able to get back in the hotel room. You can't go to the restaurants. You can't go to the pools. You will literally have to agree that you will confine yourself to your hotel room for two weeks, which sort of defeats the purpose of of kind of going to Hawaii because you want to go, you know, enjoy the beaches and enjoy the pools. And if you say it sounds like they don't want you, well, you know, you're right. They don't want you. They're being very clear. We don't want you here right now. We think everybody from the mainland is going to be carrying this, and they think they're going to spread it. So they've just kind of decided that they're going to wall themselves off. And and, and at least by walling themselves off, it, it is true that they've had, next to the state of Montana, I think, they've had the, the least incidence of, of COVID-19. But, of course, th- this is wreaking incredible economic devastation on the island. So how, how this all ends, I, I don't know. But if you're thinking about going to Hawaii, don't. <laughs> At least don't in the foreseeable future, because it's not going to work out very well. And that is that is the governor of Hawaii who's passed about as draconian a measure as I think that you can, you can imagine. Okay, well, things are starting to open up, and that's, that, is, that is a good thing. Just despite the fact, though, as we've talked about before, just because businesses are starting to open up doesn't mean that people are going to rush back to them. As I said earlier today, got my hair cut. And, and there, were, there, there, there were rules. I mean, the, the place where I go, they, they had decided, okay, here's the deal. You, as I was telling the story, everybody, that's got a, everybody wears masks, Okay, that's fine. When you come in, you use the hand sanitizer that's going to be there. Um, no waiting inside the building. When you when you get to the when you get to the shop, you you text your stylist. So I text Lisa. She says, "Okay, I'm ready for you." And then she opens the door and you go in. So you know, and, and then you leave right away. They asked you not to bring coats or anything in. You know, so you don't have to hang stuff up. It, it was it was a different world, but. It was fine. It was no big problems with it, at least problems from my perspective as a customer. I felt safe. I felt secure. I had no problem, and I desperately wanted to get my hair cut. So I had no problem doing this. It was a little bit inconvenient, I guess, at times, because you're wearing the masks, and you got to, you know, at one point in time, it's like, okay, we got to trim around your ears and do your sideburns. So here, take the one thing off and just kind of hold it up there. But we it was able to work out, and I have, did not feel unsafe, did not feel that I exposed myself to undue risk, and certainly don't think that you know, I exposed anybody in, in the, the hair salon to any undue risk. All right? But, but that's, that's getting your hair cut. They figured out a way to do it. One of the other types of businesses that is opening up today, tomorrow, or, you know, depending on where you are, maybe it's already opened up, have been gyms and workout facilities. And this is posing all sorts uh, of issues Um, because, you know, you go to a gym and the nature of this is that you're, you're going to sweat. Right, that that that's it. Now, is it possible to go and to wear face coverings and masks while you're running a couple miles or, or lifting weights? Yeah, I, I guess it's possible. There, there's that. You know, one of the things that people typically do after they they have their workout is they go into the steam room or they go into the sauna or they go into the shower. Those, and then you know they change their clothes. That's pretty much you know gone. Gone by the wayside, so there's not that a lot of times when you work with personal fitness instructors, for example, you know what happens it, it's it's sort of a hands on you know, type of thing. Maybe they're if you're lifting weights, they're, they're 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 spotting you, or you know, they're working on your posture if you're doing certain exercises or things like that. At the very least, you're in in close proximity to you know whoever the fitness instructor is, and a lot of times you're in close proximity when you're on the different machines. Now you can spread it out to an extent, but there's only so much you can do. I bring this up because I have spoken to let's see, at least a half dozen people over the course of the last week or so. And and we've you know, one of the things we inevitably talk about is where is all this going and what does the future look like? And, you know, we talk about different things. Would you would you be uncomfortable going to a restaurant? Would you be uncomfortable there? Would you be uncomfortable there? And And, and people are split, but in general, I think we're ready to get back to the sense of normalcy. One of the things that has been interesting to me is at least a half dozen people that I've spoken to who work out on a regular basis and who belong to various health clubs They've told me that they're not planning to go back for the near future, you know, and they, these are people who were regular kind of workout warriors, and the reasons the reasons vary. But in general, it's kind of like, no, we're, we're not going back here for a while. We don't think we're going to be renewing our membership, at least at this point, especially since kind of summer's coming on, so maybe we can do more of this stuff outside, and we'll rethink it in the fall. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, obviously, gyms and health club facilities, they're, they're going to be doing stuff. You know there's going to be more focus on on cleanliness, but, again, the locker rooms are largely going to be closed. There's not going to be showers. There's not going to be saunas. You can spread out the treadmills, but still people are sweating. You can smell, uh, spread out the machines, but you're not going to have the personnel for somebody to come and, and sanitize You know, a a machine after somebody else has used it. You can ask people to do it themselves, but there's a limit to that. So, my question to you, 855 616 1620, which is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line, all right, what's going to happen to health clubs and gyms? Are you going to be reluctant, at least for the foreseeable future, to go back even once they open? And I think. As much as any area, I think people are candidly. I think they're going to be willing to go get their hair cut. I think people are going to be willing, again under appropriate situations, to go and, and go patronize restaurants and, and bars. I'm not talking about pouring into bars where there's you know a, a 200 person capacity and there's 300 people in there. But I'm thinking with reasonable social distancing, people are going to give that a chance. I think it's going to be tough coming back to gyms, at least in the near in the near future. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will you be going back to your health club? Have you already gone back to your health club? Or are you rethinking membership, at least in the near future? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
2: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: I think some businesses are going to have an easier time getting customers back than others. One of the industries that I really worry about is the health clubs, the fitness industries, because I think there's going to be a reluctance of people to go back simply because of the nature of the business and what they're going to end up having to close in order to make it work. Tracy in Wauwatosa. Tracy, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hi. um Hi. yeah,
3: the only reason I go to a health club is to swim laps once or twice a week. And I would, I am missing that so much. And I would go back in a heartbeat. And I have no problem with that. I mean, you can distance yourself in the lanes. And often if I, because I work second shift, if I go in the shower room, there's not many people in there. So I would have no problem swimming.
1: Yeah. Now, of course, even if um, I think most of the health clubs that are opening up, the, the showers are going to be closed. I think for the foreseeable future. But but still, just the opportunity to go and swim—that's enough for you to justify to keep going back for to the health club. Oh
3: yeah, definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks Nicole. I appreciate it. You know, it's interesting that you bring up swimming. We talked about this the other day. I, I you know, I, I don't I don't know what the future, at least this summer. This summer, you know, what's the future of water parks going to look like? Because I, I guess I saw something yesterday about how, you know, like the Grafton Public Pool that they're, they're closing it for the summer, and, and I don't know what the plans are going to be for other pools because it, it's extremely difficult to do the social distancing because yeah, it's yes, you you can. You can gear it off for lap swimming. You can, right, you can separate a pool for lap swimming, and you can limit the number of people in there. But let, let's think about most of, for example, the public pools. I mean, what, what is it? It's a it's, it's bunch of people that just kind of like pile in, and there's, there's no way people keep their, their distances. And you can say, well, you want people to wear masks. Well, you're not wearing masks in the water. It's just it's a very, very difficult thing to, to do. Um, so, I mean, for water parks and things like that, and then think about your images of water parks with the water slides and all, and it's, it's a bunch of kids running up the, the water slides and then, you know, people coming down one after another. I just, I mean, I, I seriously wonder what this is going to do for the Wisconsin Dells because, I mean, they're, the whole business model of any of these places, these water parks, is built on getting a, a lot of kids into an area or a lot of people, you know, into an area and getting some degree of, of volume and you can get away with some of that, but you're, I, I, I just it's, I think it's going to be a tough time for that business. And I think it's going to be a tough time for the, the health clubs as well because I think there's going to be people who are going to be reluctant to want to, you know, pour back into that. Um, Jeff, some Dell's water parks are reopening Saturday. Yeah, good for them. I, I'll be curious as to how many people end up coming. Um, Jeff, I'm, I'm high risk. I have autoimmune disease, so I have to consider this carefully. Um, my son, however, really misses the health club. I know he's going to go ASAP. He is 23 and has, you know, no fear. Um, Jeff, um, I'm in Dane County with their 14-page order. If they're open up, they're only allowed to open up at 25 capacity. We usually go at night when it isn't busy. I mean, that's the other practical thing as well. If you can only open up at twenty-five percent capacity, is that does that even make it worthwhile? I mean, for for people to end up, you know, does that make it worthwhile for people to come? Jeff, I don't have a problem going back to the gym, but I'm not willing to pay full price if we don't have access to pools, saunas, showers, classes, etc. Um, yes, Jeff, I just noticed last week that my gym here in Racine um, has has closed. And I don't think they're reopening. I think several others in the chain have closed up, I presume, because of the COVID-19 business loss. Well, that's that's the other dynamic that's there. I mean, this is, again, it's a real-world practical problem. Jeff, I was, as you say, a workout warrior before COVID-19 took off. I can remember early March. When the gyms were still open, how empty I saw them. The only alternative I found is to wipe down the equipment before and after. Still not sure if I want to be doing physical interaction with people yet. I think that um, that's that's the factor that's out there. Because like I say, there, there's some things... There's some things that you can control, but the nature of of the workout stuff is going to be more difficult. Jeff, I'm not going back for now. I've adjusted to working out at home. I'll continue to do that. I trust the gym to try to keep things clean. I'm just not sure I trust some of my other fellow patrons there. Well, that's that's a a factor as well. I also wonder whether during the the whole COVID-19 experience, whether – whether people decided, hey, I'm going to buy that exercise bike or, or whatever. And, again, the, the timing of this, it, it's the summer. So I think maybe there's people who are looking at alternatives. Gee, do we, need to, do we need to go back to the gym or now that we can get outside, are there other things that we can do outside to get the exercise? I'm, I'm just saying, all in all, and I'm certainly not discouraging people from making that decision, I think this is going to be an industry that's really it, it's going to take a while before they're able to make a comeback because – The question is, will people feel comfortable? This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.